That's the sound of a day starting out right. I hear it every time my new Toro Z-Master 4000 Zero Turn starts up. With big-time horsepower, giant Voodoo track tires, TurboForce deck, and comforts like MyRide and USB ports, it's fully loaded to mow all day long while delivering that signature Toro cut. From start to finish, this beast means business. Get your Z-Master 4000 today. Toro. Count on it. Introducing the SND Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 53. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And Jose, we are joined by a guest, Austin Cruteau. Austin, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just watching this Mets game, 8-3 lead. Looking good on the Yanks so far. Let's keep it rolling. It's good to have you back on the podcast. We missed you. Uh, yeah, last time I you, you were, guys too, man. Last time you were on, we were before the season started. So we're going to do a lot more baseball again. Try and talk about who's been the best team so far for us. Some of the biggest disappointments. You mentioned the Mets. We're going to get into that for sure. <laughs> but I want to start off with the NBA Finals. The Warriors won last night, 106 to 105. Kevin Durant played in the game to start, would leave early with an Achilles injury. You know, the questions of whether he should have played or not should have played. Uh, Jose, let's start with you. Your initial reaction to Kevin Durant's injury. Uh, You know, my initial reaction was, you know, I was shocked. Um, You know, we talked about it, how we went back and forth about what was Durant's injury. Was it always his Achilles? Was it his calf? Um, that was very unclear. To me, if someone says they're ready to play or if the team says they're cleared to play, I have to trust that they actually are, right? Because the Warriors' job is not to put Durant's, you know, Durant's health in jeopardy. So if Durant takes the court, I'm, you know, guessing that he is okay to go. So to watch him leave with this injury, honestly, I was a little surprised, especially in the way that it happened because, you know, he didn't even – stay in the game to like try and make a play. He didn't pass it to a teammate. He just dropped the basketball and he immediately lowered himself to the floor. Um, never mind that a Raptor ended up picking it up and whatever. But point is that he didn't even try to finish the play. Just drops the basketball, lowers himself to the floor. Uh, I'm just really surprised, honestly, because, you know, Kevin Durant and, and you and you also feel bad because Kevin Durant, you know, say what you want about him. I know a lot of people like to call him a snake. A lot of people like to say he has no heart. A lot of people saying that he doesn't care, he's just in it for the rings, or he's just, you know, he has one foot out the door. The point was that this guy knew he wasn't okay, and for a month still tried to make it back onto the court. And even if it was for the first 24 minutes of the game, if it was for the first two quarters of basketball, he gave the Warriors a huge lift in this game that allowed the Warriors, in my opinion, to help them win this basketball game. If Durant isn't there to start the game, I don't know how this game shakes out, but my initial reaction is I was shocked that after only two quarters, he was done after initially thinking he was okay to play. And two, I just feel bad for the guy because, you know, that's not easy to do to come back in any injury. 
especially if you're hurt at this point. You know, and everybody's a little bit hurt because, you know, you saw Looney out there giving himself, you know, trying to do something on the court even with his injuries. Kawhi Leonard's playing hurt. But for Durant, a guy who is gambling on himself, has a huge payday hanging in the balance when it comes to free agency and still tries for a month initially after he hurt his quote-unquote calf, tries to come back and help his team and was only able to do it for two quarters. You know, hats off to Durant for, you know, attempting to do that, but I also just feel bad for the guy. Uh, Austin, you were watching uh, a lot of the game. Uh, No, like, we're all from New York. The Knits are supposed Mm -hmm. to be a big team that are trying to go after free agents. They're the odds-on favor for Kevin Durant. The Nets are one of the other favorites for uh, to go out for a lot of big free agent signing. Uh, when you look at an injury like this, we saw what happened with DeMarcus Cousins. Nobody really wanted to take that risk for Cousins. But so he says. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so he says. Um, but when you look at it for Durant, should teams still be looking to make long-term deals? Uh, for Kevin Durant, as a fan, do you still want him in your building, even though he's possibly going to have uh, a serious Achilles injury as of right now? Uh, I think so. I genuinely think so because you have him locked up for basically how many years. Even if he takes next year off, he's still rehabbing as much as possible. It's not like he's not going to come back and still be. He's not going to not drop 20 a game, 20 plus a game. It doesn't matter. Kevin Durant with one leg is better than the whole Knicks starting five. <laughs> so, it's just, you know, it's, it doesn't really matter at this point. You lock him up, you know, he takes his year, whatever. What, what's another year of being mediocre or possibly crappy again? Seriously, as long as we have Kevin Durant signed, give me that other year. You know, give me that rehab year. It's fine. Bring him on, please. Also, if Nick, any Knicks listening in on whatever, please draft RJ Barrett. Don't trade him. Just draft him. So him plus Kevin Durant with one leg, we'll, we'll be all right. Yeah. RJ Barrett, Kevin Knotts, and two free agents. That's that's a good squad to have yeah, right I mean, there. Even if we get Kemba. I mean, I would love KD, Kemba, whoever, and Knox. And I just... I don't want to say RJ Barry yet because the Knicks will be the Knicks and just trade that pick away for Tobias Harris. I've been saying that forever. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yeah, we definitely, I would definitely take KD. So Injury I, or not. Also, I got another question for you. It's a 3 2 mm-hmm. series now, it's going back to Oracle uh, for Dame Sits. Do you have the Raptors winning this series or the Warriors? With a healthy Klay Thompson and a Steph Curry who's playing like he's been playing, I have the Warriors. If Klay gets hurt mid-game again and if just something weird happens that Draymond forgets how to play basketball and Iggy forgets how to play basketball, then Raptors. But I have the Warriors winning now that they come back. You have the Warriors also, winning game six or the entire uh, rest of the, the finals? Entire series, the oh, entire wow. series. Yeah. Jose, are you as confident? You know, it's funny, Nick, because when we originally did our project, our projections, do you remember remember what I said? Do you remember what my projection was? Five. I said Warriors in five. I said there was no way the Raptors are winning more than one game against Golden State. No way at all. <laughs> and was I off a little bit or not? 
Um, honestly, <laughs> I I'm gonna give it to the Raptors for Game Six. I mean, this is a team that not just won one game at the Oracle; they won two. And yeah, it might be asking them a lot to go back and win a third one. But what they show to me by winning those two games in three and four is that they're unfazed by this Golden State crowd. And the Oracle is a building where a lot of people and a lot of teams in the past have had trouble winning because, right, the Warriors were so good at home. And for the Raptors, it didn't phase them. And you saw the difficulties in which Durant gave the Raptors in the first two quarters of yesterday's game. When Durant is on the floor, it forces you to not double-team certain people. It opens up Clay and Steph. But when Durant is not there... It shuts down a lot of the options for the Warriors. You kind of know where the ball is going to. Because even though Iguodala is still a good shooter, even though Jamon Green can still put up points, the offense is still going to flow through Steph and Clay without Durant being there. So it really limits the options for the Warriors. And even when Durant left that game, the Warriors struggled in the final two halves of that game. Remember, they had to really, you know, Steph Curry was still missing a lot of three-pointers Going down the stretch, yes, he hit them when they mattered the most at the end of the game, and that's what matters, but there were still a lot of empty possessions by the Warriors, especially late into the fourth quarter. So I'm going to give it to the Raptors. However, if the Warriors can somehow pull this off and go to Game 7, give me the Warriors, because at that point, I think the Raptors will be deflated. But as for right now, as far as we know, there is a Game 6, and only a Game 6. I think the Raptors are actually going to pull it off. I have this series ending. It's going to end on sits. Warriors, one by one, they hit 23s. The Raptors hit eight. Uh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, now Warriors got their backs against the wall, and that team is scary with their backs against the wall. As you see, it's just, I, I don't see it. I, but I guess if it does go seven, then it's the Warriors. But yeah, it makes more sense. Raptors. I, if- I, I, I look at it and say, the Raptors had a tough time closing this one out. I think the KD injury, I think it was just a lot going on around them, and they struggled as a team to close out this game. I think in the difference in game sits, we'll, be, we'll see the Raptors like they were the previous four games, where they're just dominating. They're leading by 7 to 10 to 12 for the entire first half. They'll cruise through this game and win it close in the very end, but never have a trailing moment where they're just going to finish it out real simple and easy. So I don't know why it's we'll a plus, uh, why the Raptors are getting three points and why the Warriors are favorited in game sits at all. Because they're um, home. That don't make so, that's not good enough for me. <laughs> um, Jose said it best. That, that, that Oracle is crazy. I have, I have a couple of friends who have been there, and they said it's really not like any arena. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> It's definitely, they definitely pump sound into there for sure. All right. We got to get on one more part as a fan conversation. We saw the Raptors, and there were a little bit of cheering here or there uh, for the Raptors fans when Durant did initially get injured and they were you know, happy or cheering for the injury. Uh, it did get toned down once everything sunk in, but, you know, Jose, as a fan base immediately, that, that just can't happen. Yeah, it just, it just can't happen. Um, however, I'm willing to give them a little bit of a pass only because it's the heat of the moment, right? They don't really know what's going on. You don't know for sure if Durant just you know, had a minor injury. Like No one knew right off the bat what was going on with Durant. It wasn't until you started seeing him limping and people helping him off the court 
then you knew. And again, like you said, the Raptors fans started, not the Raptors fans, the Raptors players started telling the fans like, hey, not cool. And the fans did respond that way. And then after that, gave an ovation to KD as he was walking off the court. Now, if the Raptor fans did not listen to the players and were just going wild and crazy, then I'd be like, man, this fan base is is ridiculous. But at the same time, I completely understand with the Warrior players being upset with DeMarcus Cousins using the terms trash. It was a bad moment for those fans and that fan base. But, you know, in the heat of the moment, you can't say a lot of other people wouldn't have done the same thing. Uh, you know, especially it's easy for other fan bases to say, wow, that's mean. We wouldn't have done that, but we don't know what you would have done in that situation. So I hope, and I'm saying I hope, that it was just a heat of the moment kind of thing where, you know, things were going crazy, things were loud, it's an exciting game, it's a potential, you know, finals clinching game, and hopefully it was because of that reason that they were too amped up and it was just extra adrenaline and not because they were wishing actual actual harm on KD. There was also a foul called right right then and there, so they can say they were cheering for that too, but uh, yeah, it seems like there was just close. a lot of moving parts within those yeah. couple of minutes of when it happened. So for me, it's just really hard to pinpoint what exactly Raptor fans were going crazy about. But at the same time, I feel like because of the way that they responded to the Raptors players, I feel like you know they weren't you know wishing you know harm on KD in that sequence. I really think it was just a a spur of the moment, extra adrenaline. It's Game Five. They're two quarters away from possibly winning their first ever finals title. So I'm willing to give a pass to Raptor fans, but not a good look when it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. All right. Boston's got the Warriors making the comeback in this one. Jose mm-hmm. and I, we originally had oh, the dumps. Warriors, but we switched off and went to the Raptors. Uh, overall, if I, I'm pretty much done better in this one, but game sits there's no reason why i think the raptors should be getting three points and i'm gonna take each point thankfully <laughs> uh we gotta go into baseball austin when you joined the podcast is before the season started dallas title didn't have a team Trey kimball didn't have a team we just got into june and they finally have a team each dallas title signs with the braves as met fans i don't know if we're yaying that one too much <laughs> um I don't think it'll matter too much. And Craig Kimball signed with the Cubs. Title only went for a one-year deal. Uh, Kimball was able to get a three-year deal out of it. So, Austin, which signing did you like more? Um, well, I definitely like the Kimball one better because he's not now a division. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's uh, definitely given. But, no, that, that one makes sense, too, because... Kimball for three years. He he's a, a bullpen guy. He doesn't need to constantly be pitching, which is good when you're not signed for this long, as opposed to a previous Cy Young winner who is now going to be a fifth starter. Mentally, that messes you up, and you also haven't been pitching for six months plus. Even if it is simulated games or whatever, it doesn't matter. But um. Yeah, I like the Kimball one better. I think it's going to help out the Cubs. And I don't think the uh, Keiko signing isn't going to help them as much as people think it does. Because, like I said, mentally it's just, oh, I was this guy, and now I'm you know, going to be bumped to four or five spots started maybe. So and we'll see. You mentioned Kimball. This is the first time 
that the Cubs have a true closer since their World Series run when they had Chapman. Uh, do, right. you, do you think that instills the players a bit more that it's like, hey, we have a guy that can finally close out games for us because our bullpen hasn't always been that great? Yes, for sure. I think having a back in the bullpen guy who could close out games helps you out mentally. If you make an error, it's like, okay, we got this guy coming in. Like, you know, it's just one of those things where helps out and benefits everybody on the ball club no matter what position you play. For sure. And Jose, I don't know if you have a personal preference on which one was the better signing, but give me the reason why Dallas was. We're going to have you the opposite one. Well, I actually I did think Kimber was, uh, was the better signing because of a lot of the reasons that you named. Just saying, I think this, again, this is the first legit closer they have since Chapman. You saw what that Cubs bullpen was able to do when they got into the playoffs. So I think installing that and allowing everybody to move up into their traditional roles will help them. But I do like the Dallas Kygo signing as well, too. The Braves are a very, very young team. Very, very young when it comes to their offense, too, and Acuna and Albies and, you know, and Freddie Freeman. But what's also very young, Nick and, and, and Austin, as you guys know, is their rotation. There's not a lot of experience when it comes to that rotation, right? Their most veteran starter is Fulton Wevitz, and even he is not that experienced, right? You know, each one of these guys had, what, a playoff start apiece last year in their brief stint against the Los Angeles Dodgers. What the Braves need is the Braves need experience and and uh, a clubhouse leader going down the stretch, right? The NL East looks like it's going to be a dogfight. Right now, the Phillies and Braves are tied. The Mets aren't too far behind. Don't sleep on Washington. So what the Braves were able to do is add a veteran starter like Dallas Keigel, who... By the way, won a Cy Young in 2015. And I know that sounds like a long time ago, but it really isn't. And even though he had a bad year the year after, Dallas Keigel had a nice year last year. It wasn't one of his best, but it was still a really, really good year. And when you're able to add a guy like that and not give up anybody, let's say in a trade, because think about it. What, what's the alternatives if Dallas Keigel wasn't out there? We're talking about calling teams about starting pitching. And we all know... That pitching is at a premium right now where trades are going to be very, very steep. And you're going to have to be willing to give up the prospect, the prospects you don't want to give up and then some in order to get some of these all-star starters. So by being able to sign Keigel for one year is a great gamble for the Atlanta Braves to add to this very, very young rotation to not only help them, but to help elevate other pitchers in the rotation too. If Soroka and Max Freed can learn a thing or two from Dallas Keigel, it's going to make them so much better just by having people in a rotation that they can talk to. Also, again, you know, I just like this move also because then if it doesn't work out, if you're Atlanta Braves, you know, I don't want to be that guy, but you might as well give the opposite side of it. If it doesn't work out, then guess what? You cut ties with him at the end of the year. There's no attachment for next year. This guy took a gamble on himself for $13 million. That's pocket change at this point in today's market. It's only for one year. If it doesn't work out, then you move on to someone else next year. But if it does work out, all of a sudden, maybe Dallas Keigel has you as a favorable landing spot next year because you were the team that was willing to take a chance on him even in the month of June as the season started to wind down. I like that. That's very true. Also, Carlos Gomez just hit a home run. <laughs> I would love to hear Nick say yee, 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 or, or whatever, <laughs> whatever he says. Yee, yee, yee. <laughs> 
I pay good money to hear Nick Sorosso say that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure our fans would too. You already got me to dab once in my life. Take that as the uh, the guilty pleasure. <laughs> All right. So far in the season, Austin, what's been the biggest surprise team for you? Minnesota Twins. Minnesota Twins shocked me. I'm sure they shocked everybody. They, they are a very good baseball team at this point. What's their record? I forgot their... Oh, they're 43-21. Look at that. And I don't know. I called this team being good in the beginning of the season, and I'm glad my heart was right. Yeah, the least losses in baseball. Yeah. They, out of nowhere. I mean, I think out of nowhere. They, there wasn't really much... Oh, they're Minnesota. There's not really any media <laughs> hype around them anyway. But still, you know what I mean? There's just That was really shocking to me. And I'm glad I, my heart was right. I called this team being good. and I, I was at the game where they, I think it was like 14-9, they beat the Mets. I was at that game. And watching it, it was early in the season. I was like, this team is going to be good. It was like two weeks in. This team is going to be good. Sure enough. But, so, yeah, that's my biggest shock. Shocking team. I was outside of the Twins now. You got to pick somebody else for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Twins are a great pick. I mean, both you and I, Nick, we know. I think even Austin, too, we all projected them to do pretty good. I just didn't think anybody expected them to be this good. No. Um, especially no. with all the home runs that they've been hitting. I mean, you know, the Yankees broke that record last year about most home runs in a season. Well, the Twins were the fastest one to get to 100. And who knows, maybe the Twins will actually break the Yankees' record from last year. But if I'm going to give you another team, Nick, I'm going to go with the Texas Rangers. Um, this is a team that's five games over 500, and if you would have told me that in June, that they would have been in second place in the AL West, um, three games uh, better than the Oakland A's, I probably would have called you crazy. To me, there's not a lot of moving parts here for Texas, especially after losing Beltre um, to retirement. Uh, to me, there's not a lot of pitching there. Uh, the bullpen, to me, didn't look great. The starting pitching wasn't very attractive. I think this team deserves a lot of credit just for being gritty and just playing the game of baseball and playing these games out and grinding every day. Do I think it's going to last? Definitely not. But I feel like the Texas Rangers deserve a lot of credit for this hot start that they got off to. Um, again, you know, a lot of players just stepping up in the right time in a lot of certain situations. But when you look at their roster, they still have a lot of talented guys. Uh, the rotation doesn't jump out to you as an elite one, but they're playing pretty well. And again, second place in the AOS, that's not an easy thing to do, um, considering that you know the Astros are going to be up there in the front. You know the A's are going to be competitive. The Angels are trying to make a run, too. And, and then Seattle got off to the, hard start, the hot start, too, but they couldn't keep it. Um, so this whole division has been pretty surprising, but definitely the Rangers for me, um, outside of the Twins. I'm going to throw also, a team in there they as well. Were, they're also led by uh, X-Met. Chris Woodward. Yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> shouldn't it be surprising when he when he came uh, his experience coaching in LA. <laughs> I have a foul ball that he flipped to me. It's no. still in my room. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that that is very very young as a kid. That's uh, awesome. Uh, I'm gonna take your team in there as well. Uh, how about the Arizona Diamondbacks? This is a team that you know let. Patrick Corbin walked away, traded away Paul Goldsmith, essentially trading away one of the top five Cy Young candidates, and what I consider was the first, the best first baseman in the league 
for since he's really came into the league. Uh, and what do they do? They're 35 and 32. They're three games over 500. Some of that also has to do with the fact that they're seven and two in the month of June right now. So that's why they're able to get over the 500 threat. But this is a team I did not think they were going to be anywhere near 500 baseball or over 500. I had them where pretty much the Giants record-wise is, and they have completely surprised me with their offense this season. Uh, Kento Marte has been phenomenal. He already has more home runs already this year than he did last year. Uh, So Eduardo Escobar is another guy that's just been killing it. And the home runs have been going like crazy for Arizona. Arizona and Philadelphia just set the home run record, 13, in yesterday's ball game. Uh, so, uh, very impressive so far how Arizona has played. I don't know if it's going to last full season-wise, but they have been the biggest surprise for me. Austin, yeah. with every bid surprise, we have a huge disappointment. And we need <coughs> one for you. What's the team that's been just not doing it this year? Aside from uh, our Mets. But you can pit the Mets if you want. I mean, they're not disappointing me. They, they really have me crawling back. Not crawling back, but staying right there on these little two two win streak runs and scoring seven runs a game and still losing. It's just, you know, it's I'm right there. But they're not disappointing. They're just, I mean, they are disappointing, but they're not. They're not as right there. I would say maybe the Reds. Because they made all those signings, and I really thought they were going to be around 500, you know, at, at least around the All-Star break, maybe. Because that division, so I didn't think the Brewers were going to... I didn't think the Brewers and Cubs were going to be this good, but I knew it was going to be good. But the Reds, just because they have Fweek and Sonny Gray, and they made all the trades and whatever. But that's probably my biggest disappoint, disappointment. The Reds have the plus 33 run differential. They're, they're the only team that has as a positive run differential with a losing record oh, oh, also is the, the Nationals. Also the Mariners. Just because it started out so hot. But I knew it wasn't going to last. Just, yeah, they traded away everything. I always want them to do good just because the early 2000 team was, it still has a special place in my heart. You know? So, yeah. The American League, Mariners, National League, Reds. Jose, who stands out to you? For to me, I'm going to have to go with, um, you know, we talked about the Twins being surprising. I'm going to go with the Cleveland Indians. Um, You know, this is a team that I thought this would be their last year competing for the NL Central. Um, But they got off to a really slow start. And I'm surprised that they're already ten and a half games behind the Minnesota Twins. I thought it would be a lot closer. I thought this was going to be a two-team race this year. Um, yes, they've had a lot of injuries. You know, Trevor Bowers missed some time, but now he's back. Uh, Corey Kluber had a miss, uh, his missing time with an injury. He's still not back. Uh, Lindor missed some time in the beginning. Jose Ramirez was on the shelf for a bit. Uh, you know, this is a team that's that's not gotten it going offensively. And again, they're, you know, they're ten and a half games out already in the Central, and the Twins are really running away with it. It's just really surprising for a team that's won the NL Central many years in a row, mostly because teams are rebuilding in that division, but the fact that I thought that the Twins were finally going to be good this year, and they are, and the fact that the Indians aren't really there to compete with them, um, that's a little surprising to me. I'm going to take the Boston Red Sox. 
Uh, oh yeah, them too. <laughs> I mean, that's an obvious one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, kids aren't I'm, eating, Nick. I'm gonna go with an easy, kids eat free. easy kids choice. Eat. <laughs> uh, Red Sox are 34 and 33. They're just getting off to a decent start. They're they're going to improve, but the fact is they're like eight and 13. They have a terrible record when left-handed starters pitch against them. They have a terrible record against over 500 teams. And this is just not what you would expect from a World Series team that brought back pretty much all the same pieces at the end of the day. And nobody's not, like, hitting for the team. They're not struggling offensively or really anywhere. They're just not being able to finish games. Uh, they're losing a lot at times. And just one game over 500 right now in an American league that just, you know, isn't doing it. There, there are still... What five teams trying to get to 30 wins right now in the American League. So the fact is they, they should be a much better team in the American League, and they are just not playing it. Only eight games back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the defending world well, champs are not, only eight games back. Yeah, it's, we're Mets fans. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> All right, so... Austin, give me a, a team right now that you think uh, either is going about to break out and start making a push high into the standings, or one of it, or a team that's in the standings right now, high up, and is just going to fall out. I think Jose said it. The Rangers They're in second place right now, but he said it. They're not going to stay this this hot. Not hot, but they're not going to. I think they're going to drop to at least. Third, fourth, just he, they have no depth. They have no depth. And if Joey Gallo doesn't hit a home run in every game, it's just... Has he, is he still hurt? I don't even know. Yeah, he's still on a DL. Ah, uh, see? Yeah, my fantasy team is They've been winning struggling. a lot more games. They've been winning a lot more games when he's out there because he just... That guy is too good of a hitter. He can definitely carry that team. To, when he's out there, at least six more wins right now. So they're not going to stay where they are in second for the American League, um, National League. <sighs> Breakout team, maybe the Rockies. If they stay, you know, Arenado and Story stay where they are, I think they're going to be all right. All right, Jose. What do you got for me? For the American League, I think it's going to be Tampa Bay that's going to drop off a bit. And you know that hurts me for saying that, Nick, because no. you know I love Tampa Bay Rays. Um, but this is a team that, that has weaknesses. You know, we saw them. They were very interested in Craig Kimbrell. They were very interested in Dallas Keigel. They knew they wanted both of these guys to help them out, and they missed on both. Tampa Bay, not an attractive place to go. Uh, you know, not many people show up to their games, unfortunately, even though they're tied for first place going into tonight. Um, to me, it's like you said, Nick, Boston's not doing well, but it's very hard for me to imagine Boston finishing the year, not somewhere near the top of the East. I think Boston's going to turn around a little bit at some point. And then, you know, the Rays just, you know, they play in a tough division where their two main people where they're going against are just these offensive juggernauts. And I can't see the Rays hanging tough with teams like the Yankees, especially when the Yankees get back to full health, if they get back everybody at the same time. Stanton's probably coming back soon. Who knows when Judge is coming back. But at the same time, the Yankees are still hitting the ball out of the ballpark. 
you know, it's very hard to see Boston not bounce back. And I, to me, it's just it's very hard to imagine Tampa Bay hanging with teams like Boston and the Yankees. Um, you know, the wild card is always an option for them. But it's also, you know, when you have teams like the A's, you know, still, you know, slipping around, sleeping, and you still have the Indians still sleeping, you know, those teams are going to wake up too. And then you're talking about getting into a real dogfight for the wild card. And I really feel like the Rays are a team that need to benefit from winning their division. And I just don't see it against a really talented team, whether it's the Yankees AAA team or the Yankees fully healthy team. Um, And I find it hard to imagine Boston not waking up um, when it's all said and done. As in terms of a team that's going to cool off, um, you know, like you said, Nick, they were your surprise team. I think it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. It's very hard to imagine them continuing this pace. Um, You know, their pitching is not great. It's decent at best. Their offense is pretty good. They do have a pretty good offensive team. But I find it hard to imagine that the Diamondbacks won't look to trade some of the people that are still there. We mentioned they let Corbin walk. They traded Paul Goldschmidt. I think if the right offers are there, the Diamondbacks are going to listen for certain players. So I don't think the Diamondbacks are done in terms of trading away their players. So I think the Diamondbacks fall out of where they are now or at least slow down because of the fact that I'm not convinced that this team is not a seller at the deadline. Uh, so I'm not going to give a team that's going to fall out. I'm, I'm, t- I'm taking the lazy route. <laughs> um, I, I was impressed. Yeah, I figured we were doing one team. And hats off to both of you guys. You were able to find one for each and even going into different leads for both. Uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, so I'm just going to take the Rockies. And I'm going to take the Rockies on the idea that they could be either one of these. Uh, they're, yeah. thir- they're 34 and 31. There's 27 games to go till the All-Star break. 20 of those games are all against their division. So when I look at it and I see that much of a division span, and a lot of that chunk is against the Dodgers. I think seven or eight of the games are going to be against L.A. Uh, a couple are against you know Arizona and San Diego. And you look at this division as a whole – four of the teams are 500 or better. So this is pretty much what I would define for me. Uh, I don't know whether the Rockies are going to be able to make that push, but this is the defining moment because if you got this much of a chunk of division games going for you, you've got to win them. You've got to separate yourself. You've got to push yourself ahead of the Diamondbacks and the Padres, two teams you're ahead in the standings right now for. But if you want to try and catch the Dodgers who are way ahead of you you've got to make it up in the seven games that you have with them you've got to make it up in the fact that beating up on the rest of your division to the best of your ability and there's no better way to have a find out where a team truly is than seeing how they do in a real long uh, span against their division and a lot these 27 games they're all west coast the the closest they're going is Chicago and I think Houston so they're all they're staying real central and west coast uh, area. Their time zone should be fine. I know the Mets were able to beat them two out of three, but I think a lot of those times it's you know west coast teams coming east coast uh, for the Rockies. There's not much flight travel issues, so I think this is a real time for them to buckle down and really just jump through the standings. Yeah, they're only two and a half games out of the wild card. Yeah, then it, they're, they're close in it. You know, the NL East we always figured was going to be real close. The NL West we're figuring was close. Really, 
the entire National League outside of the Miami Marlins had a shot. Uh, <laughs> just not Miami. Even though Miami's hot right now, just not Miami. They're, they're only 13 games back out of the wild card. So. Exactly. It's, fingers crossed, you know. Just <laughs> not Miami. Uh, so, Jose, th- this is important because right from the early get-go of this season, Christian Yelich decided he's going to continue his MVP reign and just has gone off like crazy. He's hit another solo home run tonight. Uh, but he's had a challenger this year in Cody Bellinger. And this is the first time I can really honestly remember something like this where we've had two guys who are just the pure front runners for an MVP race so early on. We don't really talk about MVPs and Cy Youngs till we get much further into the season. And the fact that we have two guys in the same lead doing it from the beginning, how good is this for baseball? Oh, it's phenomenal for baseball. I think the last thing you want um, from a baseball standpoint is for one guy just to be doing well and have him run away with the award. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's great to see somebody do well, but when it's a legit competition and you find yourself watching the game but then also checking to see how the other guy does, it brings more eyes to the product. Um, And from a money point of view, money standpoint, this is great for baseball. To have two guys duking it out, it'd be great if we'd have more. But the fact that you have two guys, especially once, you know, one's in the central but a little bit closer to the east coast and one's from the west coast, you got a lot of scoreboard watching, a lot of box score checking, and, you know, looking into it online to see how they did. You know, this is a good, legit competition. And also between two teams that – were into NLCS last year. I could very well be favorites to go back to the NLCS this year. Can you imagine later on in a year? Now, I know playoffs don't really impact MVP votings and stuff, but can you imagine if Bellinger and Yelich are duking it out in the playoffs, the two guys who are right now the front runners for the MVP in the National League? That would make for some great television. I can tell you that right now. So it's great for baseball to have a legit, healthy competition, especially with two guys who are slowly becoming the face of MLB. If only the Angels can get into the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, easier said than done. Yeah. Uh, Austin, who you like right now as your MVP favorite in the National League? Well, it's not Cody Bellinger because he threw two Mets out <laughs> in one game. So if I ever have a vendetta against him. Yeah, but Christian Yelich has been no, beating up on the Mets yeah. for how many no, years? I, yeah, I've always liked Christian Yelich, though. I'm going to go with Christian Yelich just because he's uh, he's more pure. You know, definitely more baseball mind, you know. And, and, and the beer chugging like, from hmm? Milwaukee where he was chugging the beer without a problem compared oh, yeah. to Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I mean, he was struggling, but he at least he still did it. That's that's my MVP right there. If you can chug a beer at a basketball game, your MVP status for sure. Alrighty. <laughs> Sorry, hold on. You guys are breaking up. I'm trying to. No worries. Fix it. So we're gonna be talking about the subway series anyway. So, Jose, uh, the Mets and Yankees are starting up the Subway Series, and Yankees 
really just Hamil just destroyed the Mets in that first game. Hello, hello, hello. Yep, we got you. Uh, Sorry. No Sorry, worries. the Wi-Fi is mess, messing up. So, Mets are currently under 500 right now. Jose, who's the guy that needs to step up for the Mets to really make a playoff push or to get back into the, the race for this division? Well, I'm going to give you more than one guy. It's the starting rotation. Um, and give them credit. They look good over this past weekend against the Rockies. Um, but, you know, the Rockies are always a weird team when they go away from cores. The numbers start to decrease a little bit. But this rotation really needs to step up and do what they're best at, and that's go deep into ball games, especially when this bullpen is not as reliable and they're extremely taxed. Jacob DeGrom cannot be throwing 100 pitches in five innings. Noah Syndergaard cannot be giving up eight runs to two of the worst teams in the MLB and only lasting four innings. Wheeler cannot only last, you know, four innings. Yes, he gave up, what, seven runs today, eight runs today against the Yankees. He can't do that. And, you know, Mats can't be good one day and then come out and stink the next. When Jason Vargas has been your most consistent pitcher over the last couple weeks, there's a huge problem. I mean, I give credit to Jason Vargas, but at the same time, this entire rotation needs to get on the same page because what happened in 2015 once they got a big bat like Cespedes and the pitching staff was rolling it made it all easier to win these games and you know the Mets are only going to go as far as their strength takes them and their strength has always been pitching the Mets need the Mets starters need to get it in check and need to last in these ball games yeah Jason Vargas is also holding the Yankees to three runs right now at this point, he might be our game one starter for a wild card game or an LDS, and I'm not sure how to oh, feel about that. Oh my god, you took the words out of my mouth. If there was a wild card game right now, tomorrow, I'm going with Jason Vargas, and that says something exactly. <laughs> Syndergaard has to step up. Well, the only reason you don't pit the drum is because the Mets just don't win when the drum's on the mound. And that is true, no but there have been a couple of starts I, I this year. There's been a couple starts this year where DeGrom has just thrown way too many pitches within the first couple of innings. And, you know, again, that's not always on DeGrom. And DeGrom should be allowed to go out there and give up two or three runs and still be okay. And the Mets still don't score for him. But the fact is that when you're in the fifth inning and you're already at 85 pitches, almost 100 pitches, that's not going to be good for DeGrom and the bullpen who's going to have to come in there starting from the sixth inning when they struggle to get six outs. Yeah, what's up with Robert Gasselman? He's been not himself lately, huh? Yeah, that's and another he, guy that's got to step up. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Salmon and that guy, uh, I don't know how to... Ganyan? Is it Ganyan? Ganyan? Gagnon? Ganyo? I don't know. Eric Gagne? Doesn't matter how you um, say it, he needs to go. So. <laughs> yeah, he, he had that, that two-game stretch where I was like, all right, this guy might be... You know, shut down guy for two innings and then, nope, had had the Mets bullpen 2019 curse. It's just, I don't know what we did to someone, but we did something. Hey, uh, Austin, Pete Alonso. I mean, that's the one guy that probably doesn't have to step up. He just has to keep doing what he's doing. And I think the first time I was on this show, it was the first game he played. Or the first game, he played one game and then he didn't play after that or whatever, and he dropped a ball at first, and I said, oh, God, this guy's got to go. And then he immediately took a first-pitch fastball to the moon, 
still going. It hasn't dropped yet. And I was like, this guy is going to be a stud. And sure enough, he hasn't proved anything. But plus his glove got more than what we asked for. For sure. Well, is he your rookie of the year? Absolutely. Who's, who else is the rookie of the year? Uh, Chris Paddock has, I guess, would be the closest thing. Yeah. No. Also, I want them to just box. <laughs> Next time we play the Padres, they should just get into a boxing ring and fight. Well, pay-per-view style. No, I'm joking. Obviously, the Mets, they got two first basemen. We, we saw a little bit of the advantage of having a DH. Pete Alonso was able to DH in the first game of this doubleheader uh, that the Mets played in the Subway Series, and Dom Smith was able to play first base. But we've seen Dominic Smith playing left field recently multiple games. And, you know, what do you do if you're the Mets? Because obviously Pete Alonso is your best hitter, and Dominic Smith is hitting well over 300. He hasn't had too many at-bats, but he's certainly producing every time he's in the lineup. Are you comfortable putting him out there in left field every day? Yes, until playoffs come. If we make a playoff spot, then you have to put your best outfielders out there. But what I would do is, if we haven't traded him yet, you you gotta either keep put him in left field as much as possible when he gets reps, and you know switch him out late games. Have him as an off. He's a great bench DH guy. When we play American League. You gotta have him, or and you you know keep him long enough, and this rule goes into effect. The National League might have a DH, and you could just switch them on and off every day. So it's a win-win. He's not he's not one of those dudes where it's looking like it's affecting him coming off the bench. Come off, he he looks like he wakes up from a nap and hits. So you gotta hold on to him as long as possible, and get him as many reps as possible for sure in in the outfield. Definitely want him in the lineup as much as possible. I want him in the in the lineup just as much as I want anyone else in the lineup because he's been he's been producing every time he's out there. Jose, what about you with Dominic Smith? Are you comfortable with him in the outfield? You know, Nick, the best teams use all twenty-five guys on their roster. They don't just use the same nine. So I would love to have Don Smith in left field as long as he keeps hitting the ball. Right now, you know, for the Mets, especially with their struggles as of late, you got to go with the hot hand. You got to go with what's working. And give credit to Dom Smith. This is a guy who wanted to play left field in spring training because he wanted the reps for it, because he's not an idiot. He knows Pete Alonso's the future first baseman. He knows Alonso's pretty much cemented over there at first base. And yeah, sometimes they take out Alonso late in the game, but also sometimes you can't risk losing that big bat in Alonso when you do take him out. You know, the Mets are the ones who didn't want Dom playing left field for some reason. But little did they know, with all the injuries they were going to have, they were going to need him to play left field anyways. And honestly, he's not a gold glover out there, but he does more than okay enough to hold his own out there. I fully trust Dom Smith to stay out there. I think as it gets later in the game, obviously you switch him out for a a defensive replacement. But, you know, who else are you going to put out there? You want to put Juan Lagares out there? Amazing defender. But guess what? Juan Lagares still hasn't found out how to hit since he's joined the team in 2010 or whenever he joined the team. <laughs> you know, you have guys like Carlos Gomez out there who's hot one day, cold the next. You know, Dallas Smith has been one of the more consistent hitters, and you need these guys in the lineup. So, you know, whether it's taking advantage of playing in American League Park 
or using him in left field and stepping him out late for defensively. The Mets need to play the hot hand, and the best teams use all 25 guys on the roster, and the Mets need to find a way to use Don Smith as well to keep his hot bat in there too. So, obviously we're getting closer towards the All-Star break and the trade deadline. Uh, for the Mets, though, Austin, if the, uh, at the moment, you know, if the Mets were at this point, do you see them as buyers or sellers? And if they were one of those two, what would you do in their shoes? I hope they're buyers, for sure. <laughs> That's one thing, because... I, we need bullpen. We need bullpen help for sure. And there's not one thing we can do about it without buying because it doesn't look like anyone's coming up soon. Speaking of, uh, what, what's the kid's name? Anthony K. He got bumped up to AAA today. So fingers crossed on that one. But hope for buyers and sellers. It's it's got to be. I think Dominic Smith has to be the top guy in the package if I'm them as much as I hate to say it he's he's got to be the one you offer to get some help and you know what if we get someone that can lock down the fifth sixth seventh as I hate to say it you know you gotta you gotta do what's best and but I, I don't see it happening because we are not a money spending organization <laughs> much as it pains me to say it. but yeah hope for buyers and it's going to be an interesting uh august july august yeah jose if the mets are considered sellers how bad does it look for the organization the new general manager the second uh the second year manager like what would be the look on that part honestly it's not going to be a great look because the Mets established themselves, well, they didn't establish themselves. GM Brody Van Wagenen said at the beginning of the year that this team is, we're built to win. We're going we're gonna to go for it. We're all in. So basically, when you create a team that's all in, you have to buy. And you know what? It didn't send a good message to the fan base when Craig Kimbrell was out there for three months, more than that, going into June. And the Mets had a terrible bullpen. They, The biggest need they had was for a setup man. And... They didn't get the guy they should have gotten. And that, to me, doesn't show me that you guys are buyers. It doesn't show me that you're serious to win it all. So for the Mets, if they get up to the deadline and they're already out of it and they are selling, it's going to be a very, very bad look, especially on the GM of Brody Van Wagenen for a guy who said that the Mets were all in. It's not. It doesn't sound like you're all in when you find yourself trading guys like Zach Wheeler, maybe listening for Noah Syndergaard, maybe getting rid of Dom Smith. So... I think the Mets, like Austin said, it's really going to depend on where they are, but I think the Mets have to find out right now who they are. I think over the next couple of weeks, the Mets have a very tough schedule. they got the Yankees now. They have the Cardinals coming up. They're going to play the Phillies and the Braves. I think if the Mets go into the All-Star break still as a 500 team, this team is going to be sellers. However, if they hit that streak and they pull and they, you know, and they go on a win streak and win eight of their next ten, all of a sudden they might be buyers. But... It's really going to depend on just where they are in the standings. And if they're going to still be at 500 by the time the All-Star break rolls around, I think this team could be heading for selling and get ready for heads to roll because the New York media and the New York fan base are not going to be liking that 
if um, you know you promised that this team was going to be all in, and yet so far you let possibly one of the best closers in the game out of your reach walk away without making an offer, and two, you're not making any moves to try and help this team right now. If you find yourself selling people again, that's going to be a very tough pill to swallow for a New York fan base. Who would be in the package besides Dom Smith? I mean, honestly, it just really depends on who you're going to get. Um, I think if you're buying, um, you know, I think there's guys out there like Kirby Yates for the San Diego Padres, who I don't know what San Diego would want. I don't know what their first base situation looks like in the future. I don't know if a trade straight up for Dom Smith gets it. Um, there's a lot of American League teams in the Central that can well, probably use can play, a future first baseman. Yeah, now he can play outfield, though. Yeah, I mean, he can't Teams play are looking outfield. at that. It's just, you know. Yeah, right? I mean, it definitely adds to his value, but I think he is a first baseman first and foremost. Yeah, and I think there still are a lot of teams that need a first baseman that could probably benefit from getting a guy like Don Smith, who, frankly, probably doesn't have a future at first base with the Mets. But, you know, it really just depends on which, which way the route goes for the Mets. And again, I think these next couple of weeks, we're going to find out if they're sellers or buyers relatively soon. I, I don't know if they can be sellers at the end of the day. I think they would go neutral and just do nothing. Yeah, yeah I think it speaks so much worse if you actually sell. And if you're selling, I, I think Austin has said it, Dom Smith is the only piece you can sell because it's so, so hard. You wouldn't trade off Zach Wheeler, especially with him being a pending free agent? He's Hello? a free agent after the 2020 season, isn't he? I believe he's a free agent after this year. He might be. I'll have to look that up after my next question to Austin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can hear me, right? My Wi-Fi keeps going in and out. Sorry. No, you're, you're all good. <laughs> all right, Austin. Obviously, Mets playing the Yankees. We got to do a little bit of the Yankees, uh, you know. What's, Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> they've been really successful though. At the end of the day, they're at what forty, forty-one wins, forty-two wins. Uh, they're playing great, and it's a bit surprising with how many injuries they've had this year. Uh, what you know, look at this team, and they're not healthy. What do you look at and say this is the reason for success? They're 41 and 24, if you were wondering. <laughs> I was in that range. Yeah, you're, you're close. Um, their success has to be keys to drafting and minor leaguers and, you know, just player progression, player scouting. And it's just all higher-ups looking out for the best of the team. And You know what? It also helps when you play at a high school field. <laughs> in the wind tunnel that just pulls the ball to right field. I forgot what, what, what the stat was today, um, but it was the, it's the most, it's the stadium with the most right-handed home runs to right field, 65 more than the second place. Yeah, it's just, that's, that's uh, very good when you play that 81 times a year. You got guys hitting fly balls to right field. Big, strong guys. But, got to attest to the higher-ups doing their job and just knowing where to place guys every day. The guy at Shell is good and, you know, that's the young guys too, definitely. Uh, Jose, you were uh, right. Zach Wheeler is a free agent after this year. 
He'll be 30 and an under-restricted free agent. Uh, Jose, you looked at the Yankees. What's the key for success? Why have they been this great? Well, it's something that I said that the Mets have to do, and that's because they utilize the 25-man roster and not just the 25-man roster, but they utilize the 40-man roster because when you have a team like the Yankees, you have some fragile guys on this team. Stanton, at this point, is going to get hurt at least once a year. Um, Aaron Judge is a big dude, and sometimes big guys like that can suffer a lot of injuries. I feel like the Yankees know at this point that, hey, you know, we're not going to get through the year with an entirely healthy team. We have, we never have, we never will. But what the Yankees were able to do is that next man up approach, where it's okay, Andujar's out for the year. Hey, Urshela, come up here and just give it all you got. And he goes out there and he does a fantastic job. So, really, one thing that the Mets can learn from the Yankees going into the Subway Series and going into this year too is that not only do you need to focus on your 25-man roster, but you need depth. You need depth at different positions and in the minor leagues because, like the Yankees were able to do, one guy got hurt, okay, next. Next guy comes in, does his thing. It's like the guy who got hurt never left because that's the kind of production that you need from a team if you have championship aspirations. You need depth at every single position. You need guys who can come in there and step up when needed. And honestly, I'm in awe of the Yankees and – you know, what they're able to do. Yes, they have a lot of former major leaguers, you know, to take these spots like Cameron Mabin, Kendrick Morales, but you know what? It works, and that's what you need sometimes. So kudos to the Yankees and just more proof that Brian Cashman really is a genius, honestly. Yeah. Uh, for me, reason is success. You just end, uh, had it. Brian Cashman. You know, when you think of the guys he's added to that 40-man roster – the, the minor trades that he's doing, he go out, goes out and gets like the Glaber Torres. He gets a Gio Rostro. He goes Luke Volt. And it's just minor trades that we keep hearing about. Aaron Hits. The, these out-of-nowhere moments we're seeing that the Yankees do here and there. They make their bullpen very dominant. Uh, top arms all the way throughout. And... You know, Brian Cashman has a plan. At the end of the day, he follows that plan, and he isn't concerned about the big injuries because he's already added the pieces long in the minor leads for that. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, the the players that are playing, they're they're playing amazing. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be a struggle just because you know they're young guys, and it, it's baseball. You're going to struggle here and there, but the fact of the matter is, when there's all the star power is on the IL, and Cashman's able to put an entire roster together that's still dominating baseball. Mostly playing Baltimore and Kansas City, but still dominating baseball to do so. Uh, that stands out to me at the end of the day. All right. I think we're getting towards the end of the podcast because I'm kind of running out of questions on this one. <laughs> Uh, as always, we have a dude done sort of a week, and we look back in time in sports history in Beard Bat. And I only have three uh, for Beard Bat in 1990, and we're doing a podcast on uh, June 11th. So going back on June 11th, 1990, Nolan Ryan pitches his sits no hitter. I always was throwing no hitters. And this one I had to include. So, in 
1927, Babe Ruth hits his 19th and 20th home run the year he hit 60 home runs. In 1961, Roger Maris hits his 19th and 20th home run of his season where he hit 61. So I thought that was kind of cool that the same day these two guys hit their 19th and 20th in their career year. Uh, you know, some guys consider still 61 to be the uh, single season record. Uh, the rest have, you know, a little bit of a asterisk next to them. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I think at the end of the day, though, when both guys were chasing 60 and 61 and dominating the home run marker for the year, they both wound up hitting 19 and 20 on the same day. Spooky. Yeah. Uh, Do we know if it was at home? I don't know where. Yankee Stadium is definitely haunted by Babe Ruth's ghost. (laughs) There's no no doubt in my mind. I'm not too sure uh, the uh, games. I just know that they hit the 19th and 20th. Okay. And our dude of the week is not going to be a dude. Uh, It's going to go to Alex Morgan of the U.S. women's soccer team. Uh, They played Thailand, and, well, it was a blowout. Uh, 13-0 USA won, and she had five goals in the game. Ah, See, I didn't even know that. Yeah. 13-0. And obviously... (laughs) If I'm the coach, I would just have everyone play by my goalie. Just, just no one, no one run down the field. Just at that point, just everyone played by the goalie and be everyone man for himself. That's terrible. It's demoralizing. There are twenty <laughs> different countries that have not scored thirteen goals in the history of their time in the World Cup playing, and the USA was able to do it in just one single game. Uh, so. Morden gets dude of the week by far, easily blowing out anybody else throughout any other game. And with that, we do need a dunce of the week. Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) Austin Austin has our dunce of the week for him. But who is your dunce of the week? Not going to lie. Thought about it, <laughs> but I'm actually going to give it to uh, Madison Bumgarner. Yes, Madison oh Bumgarner God. from the San Francisco Grant, Giants. Oh man, oh man, get off my lawn. Yeah, if, for <laughs> those of you who don't know what happened, uh, Madison Bumgarner gave up a home run to Dodgers first baseman Max Muncy. It was a ball that was hit into McCovey Cove. It was demolished. So Muncy admired his work, gave a little bat flip. Um, Bumgarner began to bark at Muncy and yell at him. And Muncie basically told him, hey, if you don't want me to stare at it, go out and get it out of the water, which is one of the most savage quotes of all time, I might add. Honestly, to me, Bumgarner comes off as hypocritical because there have been plenty of times where Bumgarner has celebrated a strikeout, um, pounded his chest, pounded his glove, playoffs, or even regular season. And to me, it really bothers me when a player celebrates, but they want to get hypocritical when someone else celebrates. Also, dude, get with the times, man. It's 2019. This is a new game right now. You know, bat flipping... It's totally okay. You know, be gone with the unwritten rules. Let the kids play. I'm all for it. And Bumgarner, honestly, you just come across as a sore loser. You give up a home run, and then you're barking at the guy. That's almost as bad as giving up a home run and then hitting the guy with the next pitch. Uh, You know, honestly, it comes off as unsportsmanlike conduct. 
And honestly, at the end of the day, you come off as the loser, not the guy admiring his home run. So Madison Bumgarner, dunce of the week. Thailand, close second. <laughs> I'm sure if you look at any Madison Bumgarner home runs, at least one or two of them, he looks at them. There's no doubt in my mind. Even if he says he doesn't, there's no doubt in my mind that if you look at all of his home runs career-wise, there's one or two of them where he looks at it and, with, and just drops the bat. I mean, you because hit how can you run. not? You hit a home run in the yeah, you, leagues. How can you not? And and if you, you know it's a shot, you know it's a shot. And you know if you what? hit one like Muncy did, you, you which was better a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, so. do you think it uh, had something to do with Dodgers Giants rivalry, or this is just Madison Bumgarner? Because no, because he's like this all the time. He's just an old man grandpa. Misses being good, and See, just. It feels like he does this all the time, but remember the last time he was yelling at an outfielder was Yasiel Puig. So, honestly, it's hard to tell. Maybe it's just Bumgarner being butthurt because the Dodgers seem to have his number. Um, but either way, he needs to get over it. Yeah. Every time Yasiel Puig is in the lineup and Madison Bumgarner is on the mound, the benches are, like, got to be, like, every time going to clear. On high alert, code yeah. yellow, code orange, whatever. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Well, all the guys in the bullpens are all ready to run it down the field. Like David Robertson? Yeah, and get their 15 minutes late. Yeah, speaking of bullpen familiars, then. The Mets have a six-run lead. It should be enough. Yeah. We've said that. I've gone to sleep saying that and woken up very angrily within the last two weeks. So I can tell Nick hasn't watched many games this year. It just just means Diaz is going to be in a safe situation. That's all it means. And then he may blow it. Uh, (laughs) With that, we're coming towards the end of episode 53. As always, we do have a final thought. And Jose, what is the final thoughts? Uh, Final thoughts, as you said before, um, U.S. women's national team. Damn, what a game. What a first game out of the shoot. Um... Really, really, really impressive. Uh, Also, Game 7, for all you hockey fans out there, is tomorrow night, Blues and Bruins. I have the Bruins taking it. Um, So, yeah, Game 7 is no... No matter what sport it is, there's no better two words than Game 7. So it should be pretty exciting. exciting. Uh, We're crowning an NHL champion, and you know later on this week we'll probably be crowning an NBA champion too. So um, pretty exciting things coming up ahead. Austin, you have any final thoughts on the podcast episode? I'm still lost on Thailand. <laughs> <laughs> I feel awful. Well, if if it makes you feel better, the first 11 minutes, it was still tied 0-0. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes me feel a little better. At least they tried. There, there were also, 10 minutes where this wait. was a tie game. What's worse? That or the Brazil and Germany game seven one. Oh yeah, I would take the seven one was worse. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. That was the that was the final game of World Cup. The yeah, I don't know. in Brazil. The US I don't know too much about soccer. Supposed to go very far in the cup this year, so this was expected not thirteen zero, but to easily get past Ireland was expected by US. Yeah, I don't know much about soccer, but scoring thirteen goals just sounds like a lot, and. I don't think that's supposed to happen, but yeah, I don't know. Just... Yeah. Also, uh, just final thoughts on Let's Go Mets. It's going to be the same one every time. 
keep on rolling and hope we get to 500 at the All-Star break. <laughs> That's my goal. We just got to we just got to stay at 500 and then find a way to get Kelly Johnson and Juan Uribe and we'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Johnson, Juan Uribe, wherever they are. And maybe get Matt Harvey back. <laughs> so I'll, we'll have a reunion. I'll take the last of the final thoughts. Uh, like Jose, I have Boston winning Game Seven of the uh, the Stanley Cup. Uh, also, David Ortiz uh, recently was shot. I in the Dominican Republic. Oh right, yeah. Uh, recovering. I believe he was also brought to Boston uh, for it. He's in a more stable Exploratory. condition. Yeah. Uh, certainly a scary situation. Uh, and obviously, we all wish him the best and a quick recovery. Uh, this is a guy that dominated baseball and dominated for the Boston Red Sox, brought the team multiple championships, brought a different culture to Boston. Uh and ultimately, like, you, you could always see. He had with smiles all the time, amazing attitude, except when he beat the living hell out of a phone booth. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, I, I think we want nothing more but for Big Poppy to have a speedy recovery and get back out there. And, uh, of course, I expect him to be in Fenway throwing out a pitch soon uh, and getting a full giant standing ovation for that but uh, Big Poppy certainly we all hope you recover yeah, press for Big Poppy hashtag and with that Austin thank you for joining the podcast again thank you my friends it's always a pleasure sure we'll have you on again especially as we get closer to the all-star break what teams yeah, an should be doing? An all-star show will be fun. Yeah, sure. all-star break tread headlines. There's certainly a lot to be talked about for that part. Uh, once again, I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm a talking beard, Jose Rivera. Thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and Beard Podcast, episode 53. And be sure to check out all the different podcasts on the S&D Podcast channel.